Welcome to the Man Up God's Way podcast, a show that dives into the real, raw, and relevant issues for men in their faith, life, and community. Now, your host, Jody Birkin. Hey guys, Jody Burkeen here with Man Up God's Way Men's Ministry and also the Man Up God's Way podcast. I'm here today with a special guest. I'm excited to introduce him in just one second. We want to thank you for joining us. Uh, If you get an opportunity, if you would share this with your friends, uh, your relatives, uh, get the message out there that the Man Up God's Way podcast is a podcast that they need to be listening to, that they can subscribe to on iTunes as well as Spotify, Google Play and just about every other podcast platform that's out there. You can also check us out on Facebook at Man Up God's Way, as well as Instagram, Twitter, and um, I guess Threads now. Who knows all the new ones that are coming out. We're also on there, as well as TikTok. Uh, I I would suggest that you don't get on TikTok, but we're on there anyway. But um, uh, make sure that you share our message with everyone that you can. We're really excited today that we've got uh, Mike Noriega uh, with us today as a special guest. Mike, how are you doing, brother? I'm doing amazing. I'm so excited to be on here, and uh, just I'm a huge fan of what you guys are are doing. There's uh, there's really not enough men that are leading men in this country, so it's uh, mm-hmm. it's really an incredible opportunity to be here. Well, thank you, Mike. Uh, that's a blessing that God called us to do this over tw- almost 12 years ago now. It's going 11 years and going on 12. And uh, it's just been an awesome uphill climb. And God has really blessed us with, uh, with reaching uh, millions of people on, through our social media as well as conferences and, uh, and our books. So uh, it's been a major blessing. So we're glad to have you on here to to now talk about your ministry that uh, God has uh, brought you into. But before we get into that, why don't you, uh, Mike, I, one of the things I really love to do with um, uh, my guest is to really talk about uh, their Saul side and their Paul side of their story, you know, uh, where God uh, has brought you from the place where he didn't have you at one time. And uh, why don't you begin with sharing your testimony with us? Yeah, this is my favorite thing to share because uh, in God's economy, nothing is wasted. And uh, my favorite part about my testimony is the seasons that I thought were wasted were actually truly preparation. Um, You know, going into high school, uh, going into my ninth grade year, I was very blessed uh, to find a church at a young age that was very healthy, had a, a vibrant youth ministry and I'll never forget that I went to a summer camp and truly heard the gospel for the first time in a way that was just so real. And that's when I accepted Christ into my heart. And, uh, you know, I grew up in this ministry. I just had a group of men, maybe 12 or 15 close friends, many of which to this day, you know, 25 years later, still very close with them today. And uh, that youth ministry really was so formidable and building my foundations and my relationship with God and what the rest of my life would look like. And so throughout high school, uh, never tried a drug, never slept with a girl. Like I, we, we were all holding each other accountable. And again, it was a wow. solid group of guys. And so just like most Christian guys that 
give their lives to Christ at a young age, I wanted to get married young. And uh, all my friends were getting married young. And it wasn't just that, mm. you know, I, I wanted to to have a partner to take over the, the world with, so to speak. I wanted right. to lock arms and just two are better than one. And um, at the age of 24 years old, uh, I met who I thought was the love of my life. And we ended up getting married and uh, on our wedding night in true uh, Christian fairy tale form, uh, I gave her something that I could never give anybody else that she was my, my first, I given my, I'd saved myself for her. And for me in, in my mid twenties, you know, we, we bought our first house. Uh, I have uh, a financial business that that started rocking. It's, it's very similar to uh, Dave Ramsey's concepts and what he Mm -hmm. teaches. And, um, you know, I had the beautiful wife. I just, the rest of my life, was so set and it just felt like I was on track. I don't know if anybody listening to this has ever felt like, man, I feel like I'm not on track. Well, at that point I hadn't gotten there yet. (laughs) I felt like I was only on track. Mm -hmm. And then I will never forget a day. I never really get this detail, but it's so important in my test in my testimony on August 22nd, 2013, Almost 10 years to the day from today, uh, I was, I came home and it was just a normal day. And my wife had her bags packed and she said, Hey, I need some space. I need to get away and, you know, spend some time with my mom. I'm going to spend the night at my mom's house to make a very long story short. She left that night and never came back. And the reason that she never came back. Yeah. When I say she never came back, it wasn't that I never saw her again. It was that she never spent one more night in our home. And the reason why is because she was having a full-blown affair with her supervisor at her mm. job. And it just became this crazy, just, they could totally make a soap opera out of what happened because I, I ended up finding out there was another guy in the picture. There was a private investigator involved. He told me exactly where she was, what she was doing. And I'll never forget. I showed up to this guy's place and she was there. And uh, you really never know what you're going to do until you're in a situation like that. Right. And I remember thinking I didn't get married to get divorced. Like I got married because I, I chose you. Like we're, we're now one. And so I decided I wanted to work towards restoration. And she was like, no, I want to be with this other guy. Was was uh, she a believer at the time when you got married? She was, but you know, a a big part of uh, one of the biggest lessons that I learned that I heard my pastor say it this way, uh, Rich Wilkerson Jr. at Voo Church. He said that you, um, you pick a stock based on potential, but you pick a partner based on patterns. Mm -hmm. And what I had done is I hadn't married a partner. I had married a patient, my ex-wife, uh, what I didn't realize I had an insecurity in my heart, which was, I didn't feel like I was truly worthy of love. Mm -hmm. Like John Eldridge writes in uh, wild at heart, that that ultimate question inside of me of, do I have what it takes to be a man? I didn't think that I did. So when I 
one of the things that drew me to my ex-wife was that she was very insecure and there was always a fire happening around her or that mm. she would start. And so every time I could show up and rescue her, I would feel worthy of her love mm. because I felt like I was the hero. I was saving the damsel in distress. So of course you should love me because I've earned it, which again, we know in God's economy, that's not how God loves. That's not what right. unconditional love is. So our marriage was already built on a weak foundation, but I hadn't done the deep work yet to really understand this on a conscious level. And so <clears throat> the best way I can explain all of this is that, uh, uh, Psalm 34, 18 says that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he rescues those that are crushed in spirit. Right. Well, if the Lord wants to be near to you in one scenario, but rescue you from another scenario, that must mean that a broken heart and a crushed spirit are two completely different things. And a broken heart is something that is very unavoidable. Like none of us can avoid sorrow, pain, loss. That's even Jesus had to go through all right. of those things. We often say the shortest scripture is that Jesus wept, but the truth of the matter is that is such a powerful scripture because right. the God of the universe could have opted out of sorrow. He could have opted out of grief, but he chose not to. And so for me, when the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, that's very special because we don't serve the God of sympathy. We serve the God of empathy, that our God is not like Zeus that sits up on a cloud and throws lightning bolts from heaven, but rather the God we worship stepped out of heaven, put skin on and feels and has felt every single thing that we feel to the point of mental, emotional, spiritual, and Amen. even physical torture. So when we go to God with our heartbreak, he's near to our broken heart because he empathizes with our pain. He feels what we feel. Amen. So, but the other side of that is that a crushed spirit is something that's completely different. A crushed spirit is losing your faith, your hope, and your purpose. It's like a bird without wings or a well right. without water. And so <clears throat> the best way I can explain it is the night that my wife left me, my heart broke. The day of our divorce, my spirit was crushed because even finding out everything that she did, how she betrayed me, and how through it all, she still chose another man. I believed that God was going to save my marriage. Mm. I believed it with everything right. inside of me. I believed it so much that there's a book called His Needs, Her Needs by Dr. Willard Harley. I was so desperate to save my marriage at the time that right. don't ask me how I did this. But I somehow tracked down his organization and called his office and got him on a phone call to get personal advice from him, what I could do to save my marriage. Wow. <laughs> I, was, I that was, was that desperate. Wow. And <clears throat> I'll never hopeful. Forget, it man. wasn't necessarily desperate. It was also being hopeful. Yeah, it was a combination of, of the both. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure that I was doing everything that I could uh, right. to... Uh, really steward this crazy situation. And so um, 60 days from the day that she left me uh, in October of 2013, uh, she went to the court without me and I had decided not to go because I believe that by me not showing up, 
that would prevent right. the divorce from happening. And I just, I was trying to make space where, you know, God could save this, but God doesn't always need our help. He just needs our obedience. Right. And, um, I'll never forget. I, I, I'll never forget. I got a text message that day that, Hey, we're divorced, have a nice life type thing. And that was the day that my spirit was crushed where I lost my faith, hope, and purpose. I wanted nothing to do with God because my thought process at the time was, God, I was obedient to you. I saved myself for this woman to honor you for this. This is really, there's gotta be more. There's gotta be more. So I did everything I had never done. This episode is sponsored by Ordinary Angels. This new movie is based on a remarkable true story. Ordinary Angels centers on Sharon played by Hilary Swank, a fierce but struggling hairdresser in small-town Kentucky who discovers a renewed sense of purpose when she meets Ed, played by Alan Richson, a widower working hard to make ends meet for his two daughters. With his youngest daughter waiting for a liver transplant, Sharon sets her mind to helping the family and will move mountains to do it. What unfolds is the inspiring tale of faith, everyday miracles, and ordinary angels. Check out the trailer at OrdinaryAngels.movie and look for it in theaters in October. Up to that point in my life, I ran to the world. I threw myself into the world. And I tried... What I learned during that year and a half long period after my divorce was that I was so heartbroken. I was so crushed. And I believed more than ever that I was unworthy of love, that all I craved was intimacy, but I was looking for it in all the wrong places. That I started going to clubs. I started sleeping around. I started drinking. Like I started partying. I started doing all these things. I started losing everything by chasing nothing. Mm. And I think that's what happens with so many men is we, at some point we stop thriving and we start surviving. And the reason why is because at some point the enemy put shame, he dangled shame in our face and we made an agreement with that lie, with that shame, with feeling uh, unworthy. And, uh, after a year and a half, I, I just, you know, at this point I'm still 28 years old and I'm thinking there's gotta be more to life than this. This can't be the end of my life. This can't be the, like my best days cannot be behind me already. And, um, God gave me two revelations at that time that really changed my life. Uh, the first thing was that I was working out a lot at that time. And I was doing it for all the wrong reasons, because again, I felt so unworthy that if I, if I just looked sexy enough, if I was just ripped enough, then I was worthy of the attention that I wanted and eventually love. Um, but as I was studying, working out, I realized that when you're working out in the gym, you are not getting stronger. You are in the gym, believe it or not, to get weaker because you're breaking down those muscles to failure. And the way that God designed our, mus- our muscular fibers is it's after the gym that if you put the right amount of water, sleep, mm-hmm. carbs, and protein into your body, that those muscles not only grow back, but they grow back stronger so that you can go right. back to not only handle that weight that collapsed your muscle before, but you can handle that weight and then some. Right. And it dawned on me, 
if God made our bodies that way, how much more so did he make our spirits that way? And mm, so I realized that good. God maybe had allowed my heart to collapse to rebuild my character. And so that started to rebuild my hope. But the second wow. revelation, which made me run from the world and back into the arms of God, is I've learned that the key to a crushed spirit is attaching your faith to an outcome because it's a weak foundation. See, at that time in my life, due to an immaturity, due to an insecurity, or just due to a blind spot, I thought that my life was built on the foundation of Jesus, and I trusted him to save my marriage, but at the end of the day, my faith was not in Jesus. My faith was in an outcome, and when I didn't get the outcome, that's when my spirit became crushed. Mm. And anything that you place your faith in that's of the world is eventually going to get crushed. And what made me run back to Jesus to know that he is the true foundation is I was so mad at God because I had been obedient and yet had this terrible outcome. But yet Jesus was not only obedient, he was perfect. He was God in the flesh. He had full authority of heaven. He could have called legions of angels at any time, but he claimed none of it. But Jesus went through betrayal pain, heartbreak, death. Like he went through everything. There's nothing we walk through that Jesus himself did not only go there first and feel it, but he felt it more than we have. Yeah, there's not one person and, I can think of. There's not one person in the Bible that I can think of that followed God's obedience that, you know, came out with uh, a glorified outcome outside of heaven. You know, the, their earthly outcome was not what... Um, on you know, us sitting on the outside would look and go, oh, okay, you know, like uh, Moses never made it to the promised land, you know, but he was obedient and doing all the things that he did. You know, Paul was martyred, Peter was martyred. You know, they they presented the gospel and and shared the gospel, and I think that's the. I think too many people like like you at that time. I, I've been there as well. Um, that we want to build our 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 heaven here on earth, you know when. Uh, this is all going to be burned up, and we want to put so much effort into all the good things that we can see and feel instead of the great thing of having faith in Jesus, knowing that no matter what happens, I'm going to heaven. That's the greatest outcome that can possibly happen. That's the worst thing that can happen to me um, in the whole scheme of things. When you look at your little bitty life, it's just a breath, of, you know, it's just a breath. That's That's your life. And the rest of all of this is eternity. Uh, so in light of yeah. that, we don't, ha- we don't have it too bad. Agreed. We get so caught up in trying to walk by sight yeah. and not by faith. And, you know, I, I think so many people fail to realize that the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is sight. That right. if you can use your five senses to see it, touch it, smell it, taste it, whatever it is, you don't need faith for it. And... That's, you know, that's that's just our, our flesh, and that's why we have to walk by faith. And Jesus was not exempt from that either. Um, right. You know, I would even venture to say that Jesus went through a torture that we'll never have to go through, and that is that the Father turned away from the Son, so that the Father could never turn away from us. Father, Father, why have right. you forsaken me? So. 
Jesus went through everything we've gone through and then some. And I say that to say that I realized that I had used my pain as an excuse to have pride. That I was using my pain to hide behind it or to to hide behind pride as to why I was a victim why I was so special from everybody else and why God was picking on me. That's all mm-hmm. pride. And that revelation of that Jesus went first changed everything for me because it made me realize, wait a second, Jesus went through, you know, pain, betrayal, heartbreak, all these different things. Yet he was perfect. And I'm not. And I think that I deserve better than Jesus, that I shouldn't have to go through what he went through. And it made me realize that I wasn't off track or that I was actually on track, that this was actually uh, a testimony being built for a new beginning. And God started to rebuild my character in a way where I started to trust him. And that eventually led uh, to my book. So I don't know if you want me to to get into that, but that is the most important part of what we're going to talk about. Right, exactly. I mean, that's that's uh, your testimony is a lot like mine. It led into the ministry that I ended up starting with Man of God's Way and led to the book that I ended up writing, um, my first book. And I, I, it's that's part of your testimony. And the cool thing about it is it's only going to grow from here. You're just at the very beginning of your testimony. And so, um, you know, this book, the new ministry that God's placed in your life is going to be um, an ever-growing testimony. So, Hop into the hop into the book. How did you get to that place? Have you ever written a book? Like, you know, tell us tell us all the ins and outs of that. Yeah, so I've never had a desire to write a book. Uh, I've never considered myself to to be an author. But you know, one of the things that I've learned in this journey is that uh, I had spent so much of my life trying to chase calling to realize that calling had been chasing me, hidden behind my fear. And, um, where I learned about this process is, uh, on June 24th, 2021, I got one of those middle of night, middle of the night phone calls that you hope you're never going to get. And, um, my grandmother's building had collapsed in the middle of the night, uh, just, oh my God. just, just North of, of Miami beach, um, in the town of Surfside. And I'll never forget when I showed up. It was so overwhelming and traumatic that I just fell to my knees. You ever have a dream that's so vivid that when you wake up, it felt so real and you have to spend some time thinking, was that just a dream or was that real? And then you come to realize, okay, it was just a dream, but we were feeling it. And it was one of those moments where it was like, this is so outlandish surreal and traumatic that this has to be a dream Mm. and it was not that um what had happened was my grandmother's 12-story building at 1 22 a.m uh due to structural failure it it just pancake collapsed it looked like a planned demolition it looked like a, a war zone or a movie set And I had so many questions. I had so much confusion. Um, You know, I, I refused to accept at first that my grandmother was underneath all of that because Mm. I mean, I was thinking thoughts like this looks like a demolition. So they probably evacuated everybody first. And my grandmother probably just forgot to tell us. I mean, I was having thoughts like that. And 
it took about an hour to set in that this was real, that this really happened, that I was looking. So the, the apartment building was 12 stories high. And so beneath the building was the parking garage. So everything that was shown above ground was actually the top six stories. My grandmother lived on the sixth floor. So the first thing that we actually saw when we were there was her balcony with her furniture that we had sat on many times over the, the two decades that she lived there. Wow. And, um, you know, my father, he's a, a local police chief. He worked with the city of Miami Beach for 30 years. He retired as the chief of police there. And he's currently the chief of police at a uh, smaller Miami town. And I've seen my father cry maybe twice in my entire life. I mean, at that point, I was, uh, I guess, uh, 37 when the collapse happened and to see my father mourning weeping with reckless abandon publicly Mm -hmm. was something so surreal and foreign to me that the whole situation was so overwhelming i mean there was a sea of first responder lights i mean there must have been hundreds of fire trucks and police cars and it was just all so overwhelming have you ever felt like you're in hell and you just need a, a slice of heaven. You need a piece right. of heaven because yes. you don't know what you're going to do if God doesn't show up. It was one of those moments. So mm-hmm. my grandmother's building, her balcony, it faced <clears throat> it faced north. And I went to the building right next to where her balcony faced. And I sat in the entranceway and my uh, I didn't know what to do. So I popped in my AirPods and... Uh, Vu Worship, my church's worship band, had come out with a song during uh, 2021 called Shelter In. And basically all the lyrics are taken straight out of uh, Psalm 91, that that God is our refuge and and strength, that he's our fortress, that a thousand may fall to my left and 10,000 more to my right, but that nothing of this world can touch you because God is our ultimate shelter. And it dawned on me as I'm listening to the song over and over and over. The, the very place, the very home that my grandmother mm-hmm. trusted to shelter her in is the very thing that betrayed her. And ultimately, that building collapsed because of a weak foundation. And it was such a vivid and terrifying picture of what it looks like when we put our faith in this world. That when we have our faith attached to this world or to outcomes, that it's a weak foundation and that our character, our hearts, our spirits, our souls will collapse like my grandmother's building did if it's not on a firm foundation. And as I'm listening to the song over and over and over and I'm praying to God to save my grandmother and to rescue her, I'll never forget the Holy Spirit whispering to me in that moment. It wasn't an audible voice. It was just uh, a peace that surpasses all understanding. And it was as if the Holy Spirit said, son, your grandmother loved me. If she's alive underneath that rubble, I will get the glory for her story. And it'll be the miracle of the ages because it's my presence that's sustaining her. But if her body is underneath that rubble, but her soul is not, it's because her soul is in my presence, 
Mm-hmm. That's good. Either way, your grandmother is safe in my presence. Do you trust me with either outcome? Wow. That for me changed everything. It changed everything. That's Why? awesome. Beca- because of my divorce. My divorce, what I call the curse in one season, and still to this day, is the loneliest, scariest, most depressing event I've ever gone through in my life. Mm. But what was a curse in one season became a blessing in one season, or in the next season, I should say. Because my life verse in all seasons is Romans 8, 28, that God works all things for the good of those that love him Mm. and are called according to his purpose. So that means if it's a good situation, he's going to work it for my good. And if it's a bad situation, he's going to work it for my good. I had misunderstood that first when my divorce happened that um, all things are good for those that love him. (laughs) But that's not the reality. I mean, listen, God, the Bible's brutally honest. The symbol of our faith is not a crown. The symbol of our faith is a cross that God puts the pain up front. That being a Christian does not absolve us of pain or suffering or loss. It just promises that we're not alone in it, that we can trust him with our pain. And so to wrap up this part uh, of my testimony, my grandmother was the 12th person found six days later. And there's a whole other testimony in that. Um, But that's ultimately what led me to write this book. Uh, uncollapsible soul, which I don't know. Okay. My zoom is kind of blurry because of that, that setting, but there you go. Yeah. But that's actually a picture that I took on my phone uh, of, of the building of the collapse site. Yeah. It's, it was a partial wow. collapse. So about a third of it collapsed and yeah, it, um, it was very, very haunting. And I, I, I wrote the book um, number one, because of that revelation that I had that, Right. I had had my life built on a, on the wrong foundation at one point in my life. And so God has designed our souls to be uncollapsible. It's just what will your foundation be built mm-hmm. on? Um, the other reason I wrote the book is because for the first year or so, going through this whole ordeal, this whole tragedy was really about me and my family's pain. But about 10 months after the collapse happened, I was added on to a chat with the other families that had survived or lost somebody. And uh, that was uh, also a very life-changing experience because I had never met them prior. Uh, All of the families, especially the ones that were displaced and lost their home in the building that was, that did not collapse. They were at the family reunification center down the street. Whereas I was with my father and the first responders right in front of the collapse site for six days straight. So when I got added on to this family chat, uh, they went from being stories or news articles to personal relationships. And as I learned these stories, they marked me. They marked me. I mean, I write about a woman by the name of Raquel uh, Oliveira that she flew out uh, to Colorado the day before uh, the collapse. And while she was away, she lost her five-year-old son and her husband. Uh, I write about I write about Angela and Devin Gonzalez, who they uh, had watched a family, or like a family movie, or a, a movie together as a family, and 
Devin, who was uh, 15 or 16 at the time, was sleeping between mm. her parents and her mom woke up out of a dead sleep as the foundations were cracking. And she ripped her daughter out of bed and said, run, and left her husband in the bed because it was just pure adrenaline. It was pure fear. And as they're running out the door, the ground beneath them completely disintegrates and they fall six, seven stories down. Angela lands first. Her daughter, Devin, lands on top of her. Devin rolls down. She has a compound uh, fracture where her femur is so broken that both bones are sticking out of her leg like this and she's bleeding out and dying while Angela, her insides are crushed and she's bleeding internally. Angela and Devin both survived the fall. They both survived the collapse and they're alive today and they have very powerful testimonies, but she lost her husband, Edgar. Devin lost Mm -hmm. her dad. And um, there was 101 people that went down to that building. 98 of them died, my grandmother included. They are two of only three survivors that were in the building when it went down. And uh, to learn these stories of these families, of what they've gone through, Mm. um, it just, it multiplied the pain. Right. Because it it began, um, I began reliving this through so many different angles. Mm. But also, what I've learned is that a candle loses nothing by lighting another candle on fire. Mm. And one of the reasons that community is so important, I mean, again, even Jesus had community. He had 12 disciples. Jesus didn't try to do it alone. So why would we ever try to do it alone? That's why the church is so important. Not the building, but each other. We are the church. It's because when we're together, we can share empathy. And when we share empathy, what happens from that is that we actually multiply love. Right. Right. That's what happens. Amen. That's why. Amen. That's why discipleship is so, so important. So that's what led me to write this book is I didn't want to just uh, share my grandmother's legacy. I wanted to share the other family's legacies and their stories. You know, I heard Mark Batterson share it this way in his book, Chase the Lion, that an inheritance is what you leave behind in someone, but a legacy is, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. An inheritance Mm -hmm. is what you leave behind for someone, but a legacy is what you leave behind in someone. someone. I I wanted my grandmother's death to continue to touch other lives, but I also Mm -hmm. wanted to bring purpose to the pain and uh, have these other families share their stories uh, as well and honor the first responders. So that's what led to this book and this ministry. Wow. That is awesome. Um, it's, it's amazing. You know, you always hear the cliche that God will take, you know, bad and turn it into his good. Um, and this is, this is the truth behind that. You know, God, for those who will put their hope and trust in God, and their faith in God, they can see the goodness that comes out of bad. And um, yeah. it's definitely a perspective that you have to have, you know, in order to, uh, to, to have, to, to be able to see that. And uh, what you've done here is taken, you know, that book and, and turned it into something that's not only pointing toward God, but also, uh, you know, taking that sad situation and, and showing what God can do, especially with the right foundation. And, uh, and that's awesome. That is awesome. So you said the the ministry is in, in its infancy, and it's just kind of begun along with the book. What 
what do you think God's calling you to? How, how, I think how do you think he's going to use you for all of this? However he wants to. I've, I've learned that God's <laughs> plans are much bigger for my life than my plans ever were. And right. uh, whether it's speaking, writing, uh, whatever it is, you know, doing podcasts on Zoom, <laughs> whatever right. it is, right. I will do it because I believe my ministry is the subtitle of my book, which is mm. how do you endure a broken heart without crushing your spirit? Right. And I, I think a key to understanding that statement, and I think my ministry is all based around passion. You know, the, the movie that, that came out, The Passion of the Christ, mm -hmm. well, why would they call it the passion of the Christ? Because passion, passion and suffering go hand in hand. How do right. you know if you're passionate about something? You're willing to suffer for it. Right. If you're not willing to suffer for it, you're not, That's you good. can't be passionate about it, That's but good. to take it deeper, I think one thing that most people do not realize is that passion is neutral. Mm -hmm. Passion is extremely neutral because you can be passionately resentful or you can be passionately joyful. What's the right. difference? Well, if you do not feel after suffering, after trauma, after loss, fill in the blank, what will happen is you'll go down this path of passion. And one of the biggest lies of the world is that all things heal with time. No, mm -hmm. no. All things get buried with time, maybe, but they right. don't heal. Right. If you cut yourself and right. you don't address it, all that you're going to have is an infection. You may not see it right. or notice it at first, but it will get infected. And so I say that to say that passion, if you don't heal, will lead towards resentment. The way that will bear fruit in your life or lack thereof is it'll show up as bitterness in your life. But if you go through healing, what will happen is you will be passionate about restoration. And the fruit of that is joy. You, and really, that's how you draw purpose from pain. Is once you have healed, you realize that it's not about your story. It's not about your glory, but rather it's about other people's healing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why you and I are so passionate about what we do is that right. we have both gone through the, the breaking, but we've also both gone through the healing. And so in my book, uh, my, the entire body of my book is really all about practical steps to healing. And these are things that I actually did. And, uh, I, I just put words to them and, uh, I call them the, the five requisites for restoration. And what's very unique about this is, uh, for anybody that's like a, a Marvel Avengers fan, um, you know, they have phase one and phase two and phase three and phase four of movies. I actually have my book right. broken up in phases and phase one is really all about I assume that the reader knows nothing about the Surfside condo collapse and the whole beginning is an introduction and it breaks right. down what actually happened and what the heart of the book is. Mm -hmm. Phase two is actual practical handles and steps to healing, but each step to healing is actually tied to a story of someone that God put in my life from the building. And I've shared mm -hmm. 
uh, three of those three of those stories very briefly, um, and specifically how their stories inspired my healing and how they've had an impact on my life. And then phase three of the book is actually going way beyond Surfside. And it's all about the bigger picture of our pain without giving away any spoilers. Um, But I, I do want to share those five steps to, to, to restoration or those five requisites to restoration, because I really believe my whole ministry is based around these concepts. So the first step is you have to reveal it. You have to recognize your heartbreak. And that's just another way of saying that you need to acknowledge your pain. So my book is, it's, it's all centered around uh, emotional and spiritual healing, but Jesus, Jesus spoke in parables because our mind does not think in words. Our minds think in pictures. So Jesus spoke in parables and it's kind of the same thing with this. So the picture I want to give everybody is imagine for a second, you're cutting something in the kitchen and you slice through your hand and you have this big gaping wound. Well, if you're bleeding everywhere and you have this giant cut, the first step to your healing is you should probably acknowledge it. (laughs) Right. You should probably realize (laughs) Oh my gosh, I cut it. Now, that seems like such common sense, but I just had a conversation with somebody yesterday that they, they, they found some bitterness coming out of their life and they didn't understand why. And it was because of something that happened in their childhood that became subconscious and buried. It was never even acknowledged. And it manifested as bitterness towards somebody else that they subconsciously blamed. Right. Right. So that's why acknowledging the pain is the first step and recognizing your heartbreak. The second step is you have to relieve it. You have to respond to your grief. Well, that's another way of saying you have to address your pain. So if we go back to that cut on your hand, you probably got to wash it out or you should clean it with peroxide. Maybe you, have to wrap a towel around it, add pressure to stop the bleeding. Um, maybe uh, you just put a bandaid on it. I mean, you know, you have to do something to relieve it. You can't just continue with life as is because then you'll bleed all over people that never cut you. That's a whole sermon in and of itself. Right. Um, but then that leads to, to the third step, which is you have to release it you have to relinquish your anguish that's another way of saying you have to surrender your pain maybe that cut is so bad that you need to go to the hospital and get stitches maybe you cut yourself so bad that you cut tendons in there and now you need surgery either way there comes a point where you need to surrender to the care of someone else where you acknowledge I am broken, I am bleeding, and I need healing. And so I'm going to open up about this and trust you to take care of me because you're a professional, right? And if you're reading between the lines on this, it's kind of the same thing with God, that we confess to God for forgiveness, but we confess to others for healing. Mm -hmm. Think about that for a second. We have to confess to others for emotional and spiritual healing. Why? There's a part in my book 
that I write on called heart dialysis. Mm -hmm. Now, there's such thing as kidney dialysis because if your kidneys stop working, thank God for technology that there's these man-made machines that filter out all your blood because if your kidneys stop working, then your right. body can't pee out all those toxins and uh, you'll just your blood pressure will raise because it has nowhere else to go and then you just eventually uh, die. And so what happens with a dialysis machine is it handles all of that for you. I think to myself that when we don't deal with the things that cause trauma in our life and we allow the toxicity of bitterness and pain and resentment to just be buried within our spirits and to just circulate within us for years, that there comes a point that your heart needs to go on dialysis that you right. need. You need right. to manually have someone get in there with you and get it out in a healthy way so that you can be purified of everything. Just like your body needs to right. pee out toxins, right? Or sweat out toxins or whatever. Your emotions need some place to go. Whenever somebody opens up that has never opened up before, the first thing they always say is, oh, I'm so glad I could finally get that off my chest, or I'm so glad that I could finally tell somebody about this. Right. And as men, one of the lies of the world is that we're taught, even on a subconscious level, that vulnerability is weakness. That is a lie. Vulnerability is strength. It takes strength right. to keep things to keep things hot, like Mike Todd says. Honest, open, transparent. Right. Right. It's easy to hide things, but there's a price to pay in the long run. And so, uh, again, powerful verse. We, we confess to God for forgiveness, but we confess to others for healing. And that's what surrendering your pain is mm -hmm. all about. If you need to go see a professional, just like you would medically, well, right. I think you should see a therapist. You should see a counselor. You know, right. if, if you've been holding resentment against somebody for 25 years, you should probably go talk to that person as yeah, well, you know, free your body of that. I always say unforgiveness is like drinking acid and hoping the other person dies. You know, you've got absolutely. You've got to get that that you've got to give that forgiveness. It's not for them; it's for you. Um, and that's where bitterness roots in is when the moment that you're not forgiving, um, as Christ forgave us. And that's where too many Christians live in that um, in that state of of bitterness, and they just can't get past it. And it's, it's miserable living like that for sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> to what you said, forgiveness is like holding somebody prisoner mm -hmm. for something that they did only to realize that when you forgive them, that you were, you were, you were, the, you were holding yourself you're the, prison. You're, you're the, the one prisoner. out of prison. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So what's number three? Uh, so that, that was number three. And then number four oh, is, right. um, yeah. So number, th so I'll go through them again. So the first step mm. is you have to reveal it and recognize your heartbreak, which is acknowledging right. it. And then you need to relieve it, which is responding to your grief. It's addressing your pain. Right. Step number three is you have to release it. You have to relinquish your anguish, which is surrendering your pain. But then step number four is you have to reframe it, right? You have to rename your pain. A lot of healing is a perspective shift. And that will do, that can do so, like for me, what, 
what brought me from a crushed spirit running back into the arms of God? It was a perspective shift. Mm-hmm. One of the greatest examples of this is that the Hubble telescope, when it was first launched, they spent like, I don't know what the number is. Uh, I don't remember. I write about it, but they spent like mm-hmm. billions of dollars on this. And the first picture they get back is blurry because the lens, which was like about this big, was off by a matter of millimeters and a simple shift of the perspective. Like there was nothing wrong with the machine, with the, with the, right. with the, the satellite itself. It was just that the, the shift of, of focus was off by a little bit. And that's all, all of us need is a little adjustment. That's the difference between bitterness and forgiveness, between resentment and restoration. And so once you get to that point, the reason that I call it renaming your pain is because going back to our example, well, once that giant cut across your hand heals, what you'll realize is that you have a scar there. Mm. And we don't call a wound that's healed a wound anymore because a wound can bleed, it can get infected, but a wound that's healed is a scar. Now, scar tissue doesn't look the same. It's calloused, it's thicker. And it's, it's very visible um, because there's a story of healing attached to that scar. But a scar right. cannot hurt you because it's no longer a wound. Amen. And that's the beauty of renaming your pain that once, like, as you're going through the healing process, as you're reframing it, as you're having that perspective shift and going through the healing, well, once you're healed, you can, what again, like I said earlier, what, what I once called a curse in one season, like my whole divorce, I realized now was preparation for Surfside so that when my right. grandmother's building collapsed in the middle of the night, God didn't waste any of that season of my life. He had taught me not to attach my faith to outcomes. So whether my grandmother was alive or not, that I knew that she right. was okay. I still had peace. So... <clears throat> That's what renaming your pain is all about. And then the last step, number five, is you have to renew it. You have to redeem your sorrow, which is drawing purpose from your pain. The interesting thing about redemption is when you redeem a coupon, you are trading a coupon for a discount. Well, when you redeem your sorrow, you are trading your sorrow for joy, or you could call it passion. Why? Because if you've suffered for it and you've healed through it, well, now that you're healed and have gone through the process, I really believe that one of the greatest life hacks is learning to suffer well, that there is somebody that God has strategically placed around you that is watching you suffer, knows you're suffering and needs to see you suffering well, because that's the greatest testimony they could ever have. See, drawing purpose from your pain is no longer about your healing because you're already healed. It's about other people's healing. It's about showing people that a setback is often a setup for a comeback. That your soul is meant to be uncollapsible. And so is everybody else's. And so God is strategically putting people in your path for that reason. So that is really what I believe my ministry is all about. Um, Yeah. That is awesome, brother. Well, God has definitely given you a vision. So let me ask a question that has been on my mind since the beginning of uh, the start of our talk here. 
Uh, is there a, another woman involved yet? Have you, um, have you gotten past the wounds to look for another wife or are you married again, or are you just kind of holding back to see what God does? Actually, I met an amazing woman at my church and, uh, yeah, we, we started dating earlier this year and it's, it's been incredible. She, wow. it's so cool when God does things in your life that humble you because you realize it's not you and it's him. And right. one thing I know for sure is that had the timing been any different or the circumstances been any different than they were, right. her and I would not be together. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I, that's just one part of my life. I'm just so overjoyed about. Praise God. I love, I love how God does that. You know, he takes, you know, the broken pieces and puts them back together and then, uh, create something even better. We see that in the book of Job for sure. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So what's, um, how can people get a hold of your book? What's the best place for people to go? So uh, they can go to my website, which is mikenoriega.com, N-O-R-I-E-G-A, mikenoriega.com or uncollapsiblesoul.com. Now, funny thing here, the word uncollapsible is not really a word in the English dictionary. I made it up. <laughs> and so, but it's obvious what it means. But uncollapsible right. is spelled U-N-C-O-L-L-A-P. <laughs> S-A-B-L-E. Sorry. There you go. It ends in A-B-L-E. Yeah. I hate when my brain yeah, yeah, does I, that, too. I was yeah. buffering for a second, like my age. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I do that too. So wait, till you do get that. My, wait till you get my age. It does it a lot more. That's for sure. <laughs> um, great. I, so another, another place uh, to go is uh, I use uh, Instagram frequently. Um, so my, my personal page is uh, the.real.noriega. Uh, it's okay. actually uh, here on my Zoom. And I also have Uncollapsible Soul. For the book uh, on Instagram as well as uh, Facebook as well. So those that are all the different awesome. places to find my book. Yeah. Okay. So folks, make sure that you go check out Mike Noriega's new book, Uncollapsible. Um, and I just went brain dead there. Uncollapsible for the soul. Is that what it is? It's called Uncollapsible Soul. How do you endure soul. a broken okay. heart okay. without crushing your spirit? There you go. I just had my notes down here and I looked up at you and I forgot about them there. And um, uh, make sure that you check that out at his website. You'll also be able to see the links inside the comments here just a little bit, as well as on all of our social media pages, too. We'll also be posting Mike's uh, social media stuff so you can follow him as well. Well, brother, we're excited about uh, what God is doing in your life. Uh, I know that uh, he's got big plans for you. I pray that you can reach hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people for the sake of the gospel um, and point, uh, point everyone to Jesus in, in all your ministry. I'm looking forward to seeing what God does for you, man. Thank you so much. Me too. And it's really inspiring to see that uh, just how God is using you and how you're being his hands and feet and his voice. And so you're giving me a lot of vision for what, could, what God can do for me. So thank you. Well, we can help you out in any way. Just uh, make sure that you ask. So, well, brother, have a great day. Uh, have a great weekend or a great week, I should say, coming up. And uh, we look forward to uh, what God's going to do with this book. We pray that it hits the top of the charts and uh, that uh, 
that your ministry just uh, reaches uh, every corner of the earth. And looking forward to it, brother. God bless you, Mike, and uh, you have a great day. Folks, make sure that you get an opportunity. Please pass this on to other folks. Uh, share it on your Instagram and your social media, your Facebook pages, your Twitters, or X, I guess it is nowadays. Um, and make sure that you help us spread the message of Jesus Christ and the message that Mike Norega gave us today. Love you guys, and have a great week. Awesome. You've been listening to the Man Up God's Way podcast. Visit us on Facebook, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, and our website at manupgodsway.org. 